and thanks for listening to RTE Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick In this episode, we're going back to Ireland in the 1840s and to music collected by Cork musician William Ford. Tonight on the programme, we'll be talking about music collected in Ireland in the 1840s by William Ford. The Ford collection, edited by Nicholas Carlin and Kathleen E. Egertig, was recently published by the Irish Traditional Music Archive and it features a biography of William Ford as well as transcriptions of over 900 of his collected tunes. Nicholas Carlin will be talking to us tonight about Ford himself and then musicians Irish Lavelle, Mark Redmond and Jason McGuinness will be playing some music they have selected from this new book. So we're going to begin tonight with a tune from Mark Redmond and Irish Lavelle, introduced here by Mark. So we're going to play uh, a slow air which is called Lord Galway's Lamentation into a polka called The Irish Hoboy. Galway's Lamentation and the Irish Hoboy and they are two tunes played by Eilish Lavelle and Mark Redmond from the Ford Collection. I'm here in Studio 8 um, joined by Mark Redmond, Eilish Lavelle, Nicholas Carroll who is one of the editors of the recently published Ford Collection and Jason McGillis is with us on Fiddle. Nicholas Carlin, I'm going to ask you about Ford in a second, but that title, there are some brilliant titles of yeah. tunes in this yes, collection, yes. but that, that title, The Hoboy, What's a hobo? It's an oboe, what we'd call nowadays an oboe, yeah. That's a tune of about 1790. It appeared in print three times about 1790. And the other tune, Lord Galway's Lamentation, is in memory of somebody who died at Ockram in 1691, Viscount of, of Galway. So they're from the two ends of the, of the 18th century. So very old tunes, and we'll be talking about uh, the types of tunes in this collection. But first of all, tell me, who was... William Ford, and maybe a little bit about his, his background. He was a professional classical musician. He was born in Cork City in uh, 1797, the year before the rebellion. And he was born into a Protestant merchant family. His father had a business. It's not quite clear what it was, but it seems to have been a boot and shoe manufacturing, as far as I can establish. And it was dysfunctional family. The father eventually abandoned it and uh, left for America and is lost to history after that. And fortunately, by that stage, William, who was a precocious uh, music player of music, uh, had advanced enough to support the family, his mother, his sister Elizabeth, and his brother Samuel, who was another genius. He was a, a visual artist very famous visual artist who died at 25 of tuberculosis, but he's still very well regarded and still a big name in Cork visual history. William trained in Cork on flute and piano. He also trained in London and he spent his life indeed going backwards and forwards from London to Cork, depending on the season, the social season in London provided plenty of work in orchestras and recitalists and so on for uh, professional musicians. And then he taught and played and gave recitals in Cork 
uh, he was a choral conductor. He, he had his uh, finger in every kind of um, classical music in Cork in the first half of the 19th century. And, and those years, um, I mean, how vibrant would the classical, the classical music scene have been in Ireland? Because he did, as you say, spend so much of his life kind of over and back to London. It was certainly very vibrant in Cork. Uh, Cork was a well-to-do place. It had benefited from 18th century developments. So you had uh, a lot of recital halls and uh, music was popular. There were military bands. There were uh, traditional or classical music of all kinds uh, to be heard there. When Ford was a child, there were 11 professional teachers of classical music in the city. So it was a, a thriving scene up to 1850 and up to Waterloo and the defeat of Napoleon. And then the economy more or less collapsed and, and Cork shared in the downturn, the economic downturn of the years after, after 1815. So what then spurred this classical musician to go collecting traditional airs? Well, it happened after a long time working on classical music for uh, London publishers. He edited and arranged literally thousands of classical and popular airs that were published in London, mostly for a a publisher called Robert Cox, who was a major uh, publisher of music. Queen Victoria was the the patron and so on. And there are hundreds of uh, ads in English newspapers for arrangements and publications by uh, William William Ford for, for Cox. Um, he was influenced from the 1830s by a new period of ferment in Ireland. As a result of the Act of Union in 1800, people in Ireland began to look for things that were particular to Irish nationhood. The language, of course, was one, but music was another. So you have names appearing for, like, George Petrie, great great collector, uh, John Edward Pigott and many others. And Ford was carried along by that wave of interest in things Irish. And uh, Thomas Davis established the nation in 1842. And so it's a huge wave of um, interest in things Irish. The language was a particular difficulty for most people because middle-class people like Ford and Piggott and Petrie and that didn't actually have Irish, but music was a form of Irish cultural identity that they could identify with and work with. When we began talking about this programme, I invited um, Eilish Lavelle and Mark Redmond and Jason to Jason McGuinness to pick some tunes out of the collection, and I think... Mark and Eilish are going to play us another one now, but Mark, I know you're a bit of an aficionado when it comes to <laughs> collections, or at least you're very fond of collecting collections. Yes, um, tell me about uh, this one and, and what you make of it, because it's, there are 900 tunes in it, so I'm not for one second assuming that you've gone through all 900 of them, but tell uh, me uh, yeah, of, of twice, the feel. actually, I've gone through them twice. <laughs> <laughs> tell me what feel uh, you get from, from the collection of tunes. Um, First of all, it's, I think Nicholas described this in an earlier lecture, it's, it's new old music, if that makes sense. So it's almost like this hidden gem and it's full of gems that most of us haven't even heard before. And these, even what we're playing tonight, it's just a flavour of many of the tunes in the book. They really are gems. Um, they're not like most tunes that are kind of, that you'll hear, you know, properly played in, in sessions and, and elsewhere today. Um, there's a different flavour to them I think and a lot of the tunes that we've picked and some of the ones that I've uh, 
uh, I don't know, did I favour? They have almost a Baroque flavour. They've got accidentals here and there that when you hear it first, you're thinking, was that a mistake? But then you, there's a lovely quirky sound to it, you know. Uh, and sometimes then in the manuscript, which is really helpful, he has options. You don't, you know, the notes that are on, on the, the score, sometimes he has, uh, you know, other lines or other notes above that. So when you play the second time, you know, there's the uh, variation, for example. <clears throat> so there's a lot to take from it. Um, so, yeah, we've selected these two, but there's any amount that we could have played as well that are every bit as good. Okay, well, we won't get to all 900 <laughs> today, but we'll get to some of them. Tell me about that. You, you've picked some jigs with some, uh, again, very good titles. Tell yeah. me what these are. Um, well, first of all, the book is absolutely dominated by jigs, so that, that was one of the easier uh, tasks. It was hard enough to come up with uh, other time signatures. Um, so anyway, the jigs, uh, we had a load of them, and we kind of narrowed it down to these two then, so... The first one is number 238 in the book, and it's called The Letter You Rogue. <laughs> and we're going to follow that with number 469 in the book, which is a nice title, which is The White Horse. Leather, You Rogue and The White Horse, played by Eilish Lavelle and Mark Redmond. Um, Nicholas Carlin, you, as I said, are, are one of the editors. Kathleen Eagerty was uh, the other, your co-editor on this project. Um, but the, the actual, the tunes in this collection, or the published tunes that you have here, am I right in thinking they were collected within a sort of a finite period of time? It was over about 10 years, is ten that years, what? exactly, yeah. yes. Uh, in, fact, in fact, shorter period. Uh, Ford began collecting in Cork, in his local area and across Munster about 1840. And by 1845, he felt he'd enough music collected to begin publishing. And he issued a prospectus asking for subscribers. Unfortunately, subscribers never appeared. He, he issued the prospectus on the 1st of January 1845. And of course, 1845 was the, the first year of the of the famine. And um, he ha- had another piece of, of bad luck in uh, his um, he couldn't meet his rent he lived all his life in rented accommodation both in Cork and in uh, London, he never owned a house and himself and his eight children uh, lived obviously a bit from hand hand to mouth but in 1845 the bailiffs came into his lodgings in Cork, seized his flute and he was a, a flute recitalist. That was his main main instrument and his wife's watch. And he had to hightail it for London. And he never again became the central figure in, in Cork classical music that he'd been for over, over 30 years. He then uh, had a piece of luck in London in 1845. He met a man called Patrick McDowell, who was a Belfast man of very poor background who had become a very well-known sculptor in London. Uh, is quite famous and his, some of his uh, sculptures uh, survived to this day in the Belfast City Hall and in the Albert Memorial in, in London. And he was another music enthusiast, probably, a, fl- probably um, a flute player, and he was a manuscript collector and he made all these manuscripts available to uh, Ford. And this was a great stroke of luck because um, 
uh, McDowell had a lot of Ulster music, which Ford had not had up to then. Now, people deplore the fact that he couldn't get subscribers in 1845, but I, I would see it as a stroke of luck because he was able to add McDowell's northern music to that. And then McDowell uh, bankrolled him in 1846 with the famine raging to come to Connacht, come to Ireland and to collect in Connacht. So he collected in County Louth, in Cavan, mostly in Leitrim and Roscommon, and then he went on to Mayo and Galway and returned returned back to London. So they were two huge tranches of music, northern music from McDowell and Connacht music uh, that he got in 1846. And his uh, collection, which is reflected in what we've published, was greatly enhanced by, by those two um, uh, periods of collecting. Going to Connacht uh, in the famine years or during the famine, I mean, do you get much of an insight into what was going on sort of um, among, you know, in the countryside around him through his writings? Or Well, the main insight you get is that he met with a man called Hugh O'Byrne, who was a professional piper and probably a singer. As, I'm, I'm certain he was a singer as well. And O'Byrne was dying of malnutrition. He his, Obviously, when the, the famine struck, nobody was paying pipers and organising dances and all that type of thing. So his livelihood had vanished, and he was living, as Ford says, on stirabout and bad potatoes. And he met with, with Ford, and he was Ford's main source of music, song, song airs and, and dance music. And Ford says... Two mutton chops a day, which he was able to provide to Hugh O'Byrne, made a, a great uh, improvement in his, his face. He began to fatten up again. And remarkably, uh, he sa- uh, Ford seems to have saved O'Byrne's life because O'Byrne lived up into the uh, 1890s. He survived he outlived Ford, Ford. <laughs> a long, long time. Yeah. Yes, mm. he, he, he was born about 1802. And, and he, he lived, so Ford was instrumental in, in bringing him through the, through, the, through the famine. But generally, he, he's not, he doesn't give you that much, does he, of no, the, of no, the personal circumstances? Of, no, of in people. fact, he doesn't tell you much about his own person. I mean, having lived with Ford for a long time now, <laughs> you don't get any sense of his interior life. Mm. You know the things he did and the work he did and when he did them and so on. But what he felt about his family about the death of his first wife in 1832, the marriage with his second wife, and, and so on. You, you don't learn anything of that. This is a music collection. It's not a, a diary. Hmm. <clears throat> okay, well, uh, J- Jason McGuinness has been very patiently sitting there. Um, Jason, I, I, you also went through this and you picked uh, three tunes that you're going to play for us tonight. Um, but I know you found tunes here that you, you had versions of them already or, or, or things. And then when you went digging, they were different. Tell me about the, the tune that you've chosen, um, Jackson's Humours of Limerick. Yes, indeed. Uh, so Jackson's uh, Humours of Limerick. Um, I heard Kayleigh Band playing it many, many years ago in the, in the distant past, I suppose, in the back of my head. So uh, when I found the, the tune, I was absolutely astonished uh, just to see the, the twisting and the turning of the tune and it meanders in different directions where um, I, I hadn't anticipated it would. Um, and it's a, it, was, it was always a tune that fascinated me um, as a very, very long tune, five parts or so. So um, I thought it would be an interesting one to, to perform here as well. 
And um, the interesting thing about this tune as well is that um, the, the source was, I suppose, um, unknown, but uh, it was um, uh, collected at a top, I think it was in a section where um, it was probably got from Cork, um, as, uh, as I can remember from reading the collection as well. Uh, so it's 278 on the, on the collection. <laughs> Excellent. W- would you like to play number Jackson's Humours of Limerick, or otherwise known as number 278 in the Ford Collection, and that was played by um, Jason McGuinness. Um, Nicholas, did he collect from many women? Hardly any. Some some of his Cork friends were women who provided him with, with manuscript, uh, tunes in, in manuscript. Uh, he only collected one tune from one woman in Connacht. I think there's probably a reason. He, he seems to have been a very withdrawn kind of person you know he was hard working and so on but but not maybe very sociable also he didn't have irish and the the, the one person he did uh, collect from was i think a servant in the house that he was staying in he was staying in a mrs mcnamara's house which is where carolyn supposedly uh, composed his first tune, Shibyogshi Moor. Mark earlier mentioned that it, there are uh, lots of jigs in this mm, collection. Mm. So in terms of the types of tunes, is it mostly jigs or, or what's in it? There are quite a lot of airs as well. I no, think. it's mostly song airs, in fact, and that's one of the, the great values of the, of the collection. There are over 500 song airs, and given that a huge number of Irish, uh, the Irish language songs and English language songs, and given that a huge number of Irish language song texts were collected without music since, well, since Gaelic League days and since um, ballad sheets, English language ballad sheets didn't have music attached. There's a great opportunity now for marrying these more than 500 song airs with their original texts and making effectively new old songs. I should mention too that there are keens here mm-hmm. and there are tunes that women uh, used sing when they would be um, doing communal work like spinning or weaving or that type of thing. Uh, Ford calls them Kayleying tunes, meaning Dina de Kayle, you know, sort of thing. So there are all kinds of interesting uh, sub forms in it. Quite a few harp tunes, which he collected from pipers. Strange, Obviously, the certain tunes had made the jump from the now obsolete harp to the the new classical instrument, the, the pipes. Yeah, because um, Eilish, I was going to say to you, how, I mean, you've obviously, uh, as with everyone else, gone through quite a lot of these tunes. How do they sit on the harp for you? Um, a lot of them are actually fantastic. Um, as Nicholas said, a lot of them are, there's a lot of harp music um, in, in the collection. Um, and I see a lot of a crossover with a lot of tunes in the Bunting collection. Um, so on the harp, th- they suit really well, I have to say. And do you, do you get a sense of personality or a particular feel of these tunes as well? Um, well, a lot of harp music sits really well on, on the instrument, so your four fingers, um, four note runs, that kind of thing. Um, so I suppose I'm, I'm used to that, yeah, that yeah. type of music, and it 
you, you just get a, a really nice feel for it when, you, when you're going through the manuscripts that it, it states the instrument. It doesn't always, like in other manuscripts, but in the tunes here are lovely in the harp. And, and Nicholas, I think uh, um, uh, Kathleen did some transposing, she, didn't she? She to transposed forty percent of the tunes, yes. Because oh, why was that? Yeah. Well, in Ford's time, uh, and especially since he was a flute player, most he was also a pianist, but mostly a flute player. Uh, the the standard thing was to have flat keys, as we'd say. So they'd be say F major with a B flat or two flats, and so on, which are not user-friendly for traditional musicians of the present day. So Kathleen transposed everything that was necessary. Some of them weren't po- uh, possible because they have a huge range harp tunes. They, they, they weren't possible to transpose them. So the idea was that the bottom note of every tune would be, wouldn't go below D. So that pipers, flute players, whistle players would all uh, have access to these tunes as they were and they wouldn't have to be wrestling with B-flats and E-flats and... Uh, and worse and worse because <laughs> uh, Ford, as a professional musician, used a lot of, of key signatures. So it's been made as user friendly as possible, with a great deal of slavery on Kathleen's part and on, Jackie, and on Jackie Small's part. Yes. Yeah. Um, Jason, I know you had chosen an air. I don't know if it features any notes on the G string, <laughs> but you might play it for us. What What is this? I might, I might be able to add in one or two, maybe. Just to yeah. be subversive, yeah. What are, what are you going to play for us? So yeah, this uh, tune is called uh, Colleen Jas Crouch and the Mo, so the pretty girl milking the cow. And um, I suppose uh, this this air, I've, I used to hear it from some of the older fiddle players um, from the archival recordings years ago, the likes of Neely Boyle from County Donegal and so on. But um, I suppose that's, that presents a big challenge as well in your head because you're, um, I suppose, conflicting with your head against the notation of... Um, the, the, the older collection as well uh, which is part of the fun and the challenge of uh, learning a tune like this from the collection Das Kruchinamo played there by um, Jason McGuinness. Nicholas, two things I wanted to ask you. There, th- he collected many different versions of the same tunes, which a lot of collectors don't do. They tend to pick the, the sort of one they decide is definitive or the best one. So why is it important that he, he took so many versions of the same? Well, because traditional music, even in our own time, exists in, in multiple forms. There isn't like the pure tune of any of any kind you know mm. so it's it's uh, very important that he he took um as many versions of a tune up to 20 versions and more of a tune that that he could because then you get a sense of what uh, creativity was going on in the hands of musicians these were all i mean somebody wrote the original tune obviously but then it goes it goes out and it changes and evolves and so on over over time mm. and uh, it's it's really one of the one of the main uh, positive features of the collection that it has this ethnographic spread of of uh, record for variants. And why are there so so few reels? Well, that's interesting. 
reels <clears throat> obviously are, are the staple now of the of the Irish tradition. But you have to remember the traditional music changes and evolves. And the big influx of reels into the Irish tradition came from Scotland in the late uh, 1700s when they began publishing them and then they, they made their way. And then Irish musicians began to uh, compose reels on, on those models. So I would think that in the 1840s, people like Ford would have regarded reels as Scottish music. Not No, Goodman didn't and George Petrie didn't. But I think that's a reason that he thought that the jigs, and there are a lot of 9-8 jigs here, that's another, another uh, positive feature of the collection, far more 9-8 jigs than we would have in the, in the tradition nowadays. He saw jigs as being the essential Irish dance music. And he collected, didn't he collect in Scotland as well, or a little bit? No, he, he's a Scottish collection, but I don't yeah, think he okay. physically uh, recorded in, in Scotland. He has a manuscript of Scottish music, also Indian music, Chinese music, Greek music. He's a whole spread of world music in his manuscripts as well. OK, well, <clears throat> we may not have reels on tonight's programme then, but we do have hornpipes. Um, Eilish, you might tell us what, what these are. Um, so we're going to play um, number 375, The Brave Irish Lad, into the old woman's hornpipe. Lad and the old woman's hornpipe played for us there by Mark Redmond and Eilish Lavelle and those tunes are um, in the Ford collection which was recently published edited by Nicholas Carlin and Kathleen E. Egerty. Um, Nicholas Carlin you, you know uh, the transcriptions how can you or does it matter even how can you trust these transcriptions you know what how do you know that he was writing down accurately what he heard or that you know that that he was he was careful in his transcriptions, or can you even know that? Well, ultimately, you can't really know it, but uh, Ford is clearly one of the more careful, one of the most careful uh, collectors of Irish traditional music. If you see, there's great um, uh, accuracy of rhythmic recording in his in his transcriptions. Uh, Goodman is, as a piper, was just using a memoir type. Uh, type of, of transcriptions or notations and so on. So this is a different thing. And he occasionally agonizes about the pitch of a thing. He's not quite sure whether is this an F natural, is it an F uh, uh, sharp and so on. And he actually notes the fact that it may be one or the other. And on, on certain uh, notations, he puts, say, a natural sign over a given pitch and with a, a query and so on. So he was he was trying to be as accurate and as careful uh, as, as he could. And clearly, his, his class, he even says it in, in a letter that, uh, that, Irish, that aspects of Irish music escape the, uh, the grasp of notation. You simply can't notate uh, every, every twist and turn of Irish music, but he, he, he does a magnificent job. He's, he's a, a, I think, a really, the rhythm uh, especially, uh, but the pitches are, are absolutely reliable too, I think, you know. 
and and the variations, I suppose, uh, as you you mentioned. Um, There was something else that struck me in the book. He talks a lot about the peasantry, which is, you know, quite a derogatory remark, but he means it in in a different sense. Oh, he does indeed, yeah. yeah. And well, actually, if you read any contemporary (coughs) historian, they they regularly talk about the peasantry. They mean in a technical term, people who lived on the land and, and, and were poor, basically. But he regarded them as the true source. Oh, absolutely, yes, because the Harpers were gone by his time. Mm. Bunting had died, Bunting had finished publishing and and had died, Mm. and and the peasantry were the reservoir of these tunes, yes. Mm. Um, uh, Jason, I know you have a tune here, Uh, it's a Carolyn tune, um, Sir Edward Crofton, which is number 233, since (laughs) we're numbering all our tunes tonight. Um, Tell me about this tune. Yeah, so um, I was uh, doing my own research recently on um, some of Turlough Carolyn's tunes because in my home area of West Sligo, um, Turlough Carolyn visited um, a few different um, houses there, uh, including the Crofton family, the Irwin family. And um, one, this, this particular tune caught my attention through the, the surname. However, um, it actually comes from Roscommon, um, as far as I'm aware. Um, the Crofton family, and I think it's Moat, County Roscommon or Mott, M-O-T-E, I think. Um, so I found this tune quite interesting. Um, I thought it might be um, of connection to, to the family in Beltran, County Sligo. Um, and he, he, he subsequently um, composed tunes for, for them in County Sligo as well. So I found this tune uh, quite interesting and meandering as well. <laughs> so I said I, I, would, I would try and do this one as well. And keeping the Connor connection with uh, Colleen, Jas, Crouch and Amo as well, um, having been sourced from uh, County Roscommon's uh, Strokestown, I believe. Yeah. Crofton played by Jason McGuinness. Thanks a million, <coughs> Jason. You clearly enjoyed going through this collection. I mean, you were sending me WhatsApp pictures of, <laughs> of tunes and things, so you, you enjoyed, you, you, you found great uh, wealth in it, I think. Certainly, yeah. Um, I was looking through many, many other tunes as well, and um, particularly even the jigs, uh, with the dominance of jigs in, in, the, in the collection. There was, um, I think there was a Larry O'Gaff as well, and uh, Connacht Man's Rambles that uh, I found interesting as well, considering the amount of um, North Connacht musicians that have recorded those two tunes tr- down through the years. And I found some of them, um, you know, uh, particularly interesting, the different keys as well, you know, if they go to C major, or you might get a tune that is uh, going up to position on the violin as well. Um, pr- probably one of the reasons I didn't play it <laughs> today. Keep it safe today. <laughs> to keep yeah. it a little bit safe. <laughs> yeah. Good plan, I'd say. Um, Nicholas Ford, William Ford died. He was very young. He was, was he 53, I think? That's right. Considering the amount he packed in to a, <clears throat> Yeah, he died of life. congestion of the brain, probably a, a brain tumour, as we'd call it nowadays. Yeah. And in, in London? In London, it? yes, that's right. That's and right. what happened then to his manuscript? I mean, had he been intending to publish it? Was he collecting with a view to public? Yes, publication? He, he'd always intended to publish it. I think it had grown to an extent that he couldn't have published it. 
In fact, it's only been publishable because of voluntary editing and computer technology and state subsidy because the, 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 the printing of this was published, was uh, paid for by the, the Arts Council and, and the Arts Council of Northern Ireland. He didn't have access to, to uh, facilities like that in his time. Uh, but after he died, his wife, his second uh, wife, um, Anne Elizabeth Edwards sent a box of his manuscripts over to John Edward Pickett, another collector in Dublin. And Pickett was the secretary, the joint secretary of a new society called Society for the Preservation and Publication of the Melodies of Ireland. It was a post post famine organisation, and <clears throat> he um, received these and began copying them into his own personal personal manuscripts. He died before his time. He died at 49, and the um, uh, manuscripts remained with his family, and his family eventually gave them to another collector, Patrick Weston Joyce, County Limerick uh, collector, who published a selection of the music in 1909 from both Ford's manuscripts and Pickett's manuscripts and his, his own manuscripts. So some of Ford's music did make its way into into print in 1909, but not nothing like the, the huge amount that's here, which is entirely everything that he collected from live musicians and everything he collected from manuscripts, which are now lost. We excluded uh, over a thousand pieces that he copied from print as well, because they're still available in print. So there were actually 2,000 in the, in the original? That's right, yeah, yeah or almost 2,000, yeah. And did you go, you, you went through all those, that was oh, a absolutely. lockdown project as well oh, for you, oh, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was all done in lockdown. Yeah. <clears throat> in fact, uh, the three of us mainly involved in it, that's to say, Kathleen Yeagerty, myself, and Jackie Small, who typeset and laid out the, the entire volume. We didn't meet until the day it was launched. <laughs> it was all done by computer and phone and email and so on, you know. Oh. And uh, none of those are, are things that uh, poor Ford could have availed of, you know. Well, congratulations. It's a, it's a fascinating collection. I hope um, uh, people listening will have gotten, um, well, a, a suggestion even of what's in it, because I think we only had seven, uh, we've had seven tracks tonight, and there are, as I say, 922 tunes uh, in this published collection. So thank you very much to uh, Nicholas Carlin, to Jason McGuinness, to Mark Redmond, and to Eilish Lavelle. Mark, I'm going to give you the last word because because I know of your passion for collections. Um, getting something like this, which gives you a window into pre-famine music in Ireland, it, it's a pretty special thing, isn't it? It really is. Uh, it's I, I'm going to make a silly comparison. It'd be like a chef encountering some new dish that no one's tasted before, and you know. So uh, no, it really is. It's fantastic, and. Um, it's this whole project has been great for us. It's opened up new tunes, and there's so much more we can get after this uh, uh, program as well. So um, hopefully they'll start to filter out into the into the big bad world like the Goodman collection done about uh, ten or so years ago. So uh, it's just fantastic. Well, as you mentioned to me, I think you had even more tunes on the subs bench for tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell tell me what you're going to play. You're going to finish um, with some uh, with with. A <clears throat> Country dances, I think. Yeah. Um, so number 106 is called Kitty O'Neill. Uh, it's in common time, so um, not exactly sure. It could be a hornpipe. It could be a country dance. It might be real. Uh, but anyway, the second one is number 857, and this is a country dance, and it's called Molly Maguire. Okay, well, thank you all very much, and thanks for being with us <coughs> tonight on The Rolling Wave. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Tonight's music was played by Mark Redmond, Eilish Lavelle and Jason McGuinness and William Ford's collection of Irish traditional music edited by Nicholas Carlin and Kathleen E. Egertig is published by the Irish Traditional Music Archive. Thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original broadcast. So if you'd like to hear the full versions of the tunes, you can go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. And this programme was first broadcast on the 23rd of April 2023. Until the next time, Gurmina Mahagia Sochtwe Geishacht Agus Slan.